and welcome to Wine and Spirits. I'm Lena, and I play Sanjana, and I am here with... Hi. I'm Jin. And I play Bambi. We were going to talk about... Uh, oh, neurodivergency in gaming. I think we should set a timer. I'm all about timers. In the background, you'll hear my uh, kitty cat, Pepper, who really thinks she's part of the group. So say hi to Pepper. Pepper says hi. So neurodiversity. I mean, I'll, I'll start. I'm... For our listeners, we are only speaking for our personal experience. We're not experts on this. Um, we're experts on ourselves. But as we have talked about it, I am a teacher and I do work with young children and I do work a lot with children with special needs. But myself, I am part of the neurodiverse community, shall we say. So I have a lot of tendencies that, you know, I, I find kindred spirits in um, the quirky folk and the kids because you know what, the quirky kids grow up to be quirky adults. So first of all, I like that the actual table that I met Scott at, our DM, her whole table has some sort of wonderful neurodiversity. And I got to experience these people in real life, in the flesh. And it was nice to be part of groups aside from the gaming that everyone just understood the needs that people would have. You know, we were working after work and people would get tired and you know, for neurotypical people, doing something at the end of the workday can be pretty draining. But then you get a whole group of neurodivergent people and, you know, people are, are having to deal with being tired and being in a group with a lot of sounds going on. And I don't know if this is your experience, but I find a lot of uh, folks who do the world a little differently in the gaming world. Yeah, no, I, I, I have experienced something very similar. It is so much easier to deal with that last bit of your emotional wick, so to speak, with people who understand. Like, you've been burning the candle all day, and then to be with a group of people who also have a wick just as short as yours at the moment, rather than going home to, for me, for years, even though my mother is also ADHD and so is my little brother, they don't show all the same symptoms that I do, and so they have much longer wicks so coming home to them was so much more draining because it was like well they're still in the middle they're still at the beginning but i'm almost done and every once in a while i'll have i'll be able to find a a group like that that it's like we're coming together in the evening and it's like yeah no all of us are pretty much done and we're trying to enjoy this, but no one's going to step on anybody else's toes for, well, why aren't you, like, why isn't your energy at a certain par? It's like, no, I, I understand. We all went through a long day. It also helps because my experience was I work a lot to keep the social norms. And that can just drain me of my social energy or to use a phrase people are familiar with, drains me of my spoons. And I liked that I could still have some sort of social interaction where there was a, a set of rules. So once I did learn the D&D rules, even though I might be emotionally drained, I could still have a social interaction with a larger group of people. And I didn't have to worry about what if, because say I wanted my character to talk to another character because that's a social interaction that I wanted to have whether just with that character or with that person, the, you know, the actual player, because we're playing D&D, there's a set of rules that I could follow so that I didn't have to um, burn any more mental energy trying to 
trying to make sure that the social interaction was going to go well, because what happens for me is, you know, I, I pretty much sundown. So I'm really good for my day job. Um, but the kids get it all. So if you, you are talking to me after three o'clock, you're going to get less and less of, um, my best, you know, I, you know, I'm getting tired and it, I've had my most social awkwardness definitely after a full day, because I, I don't know, I'm just not firing all, all cylinders. So it's nice to have that set of rules say, okay, I'm going to have this exchange with this person. And then I'm done. I'm not going to be bothered until another round. No one's going to surprise and engage me or anything. So it actually, I always found it replenishing because, you know, I could predict what was going to go on without me having to worry about strange changes in my routine, which again, I could deal with during the day, but around six o'clock, which is when we were playing, you know, in the evening, I needed someone else to just take, take over. And, you know, and that's what DMs are for. I, I, don't, I don't think I'll ever DM. I, you know, I, I, I can multitask during the day, but for the same reason, I kind of need someone else to take the wheel at the end and just tell me these are the rules I need to follow. And it's still fun, you know? So yeah, I'm, I'm a never DM. I know they have, what is it? The phrase like a forever DM. I am a never DM. I will never DM. Don't ask. People keep asking. No. Yeah. Tommy and Scott have wanted me for uh, at least a year or so to try to DM something. And I know that I want to, uh, I want to try to DM at least one thing, but I think I'm, I would be better writing the campaign for someone else to DM. Because I, I can't, I can't multitask like that. Actually, um, uh, on the same vein of what you were talking about, my first experience with D&D &D was with a bunch of neurotypical people. And I space out a lot. I'm one of those people who I, I, um, sorry, Annabelle made a crinkling noise and I lost all train of thought. You easily <laughs> distracted. See, folks, you're getting it right live. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very easily distracted and I'm very easy to space out. If I get distracted, I just go on a completely different vein uh, of thought. And because I know that nobody else around me is working the same way I am, I just kind of shut down and go into my own little world. So my first experience with D&D &D was actually getting yelled at a lot because I was the squishy that was always in the back of the group. So I was never really present for combat. We'd do like one round of combat. And then by the time it got to me again, like everything was over. So I never quite pay attention, but I would zone out thinking that things were going to be over by the time that it got to me. And then I'd have three people yelling at me, Jin, come on, come on, we're doing something. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, what, what's, what's the situation again? And have four people groaning at me. I had one person that, I love her to pieces. She kind of took it upon herself to keep me on track, but it was a bit hard because of the fact that nobody else understood where I was going when I was just kind of disappearing from the table. Even though I was physically sitting there, I'm, somebody said something that I'm building upon in my head and then suddenly we're in a completely different area and I'm like, uh, we're, when did combat start? Uh, yeah. And then see, that exact experience was one of the reasons I took so long. Watched D&D &D for like almost, no, maybe even more than 20 years because I was too shy to engage because there was a lot going on. And I know that I can't track that well. So it took me for forever until I found the group that I met Scott with that I said, finally, I'm going to do this. But I got to tell you, I was really nervous. Well, again, I'm a teacher. 
So, you know, smart, but one of the things I can't do is group count very quickly. So counting dice was very, very hard for me. So I remember my first session, uh, my first few sessions, I, I didn't know what any of the things were. You know, I would they would kind of just ask, what do you want your character to do? And then they would fit it in. You know, I was a rogue and I had a bow and arrow. So I knew, shoot, <laughs> you know, we're in battle. I want to shoot. And then they would say, okay, so that's an attack. And then everyone would help, Scott included. And then they would hand me the dice and they would explain why, you know, you're using this one because of that. And I would throw the dice down. And then there's so many dice because I actually joined a campaign with, um, that was a pretty high level. So I had a lot of dice. And I remember my first time I just got so flustered because I was like, this group of people are going to think that I'm an idiot because I'm going to show them that I can't add numbers that are none, none are bigger than six. You know, <laughs> I can't add these numbers together because I was getting flustered and my brain won't let those things group together. I can do math, you know, but I can't add dice. And I remember just trying to figure out how I was going to fake this and how I could count if there were anything that landed on like easy numbers. And I just remember there being like a collective like breath in the group. And finally someone said, Hey, do you need help counting your dice? That can be pretty overwhelming. And it was the phrase that I heard overwhelming. Like, yes, that's exactly what it is. No one said, gosh, you're an adult. You can't count. And someone said, hey, what works for my brain is I group them like this. And they showed me how they group their dice. This was helpful. This was inclusion. This was me not feeling bad because that was a silly thing for me not to play an entire game because I get nervous when I have to group dice. You know, and they were different shapes and they were all over the place. And someone um, had lent me dice and they were all different colors. And someone else in the group suggested, hey, until you get used to it, why don't you use all the same color? And that was a, that was a hack that worked. And then we, I switched it to all the same type of dice being the same color because I did become a dice hog very quickly because <laughs> and they're shiny. And that's my impulsivity. I like when I, if I see something that's cute and shiny, I want it. So I have a oh, lot yeah. of dice. So it was like, okay, now, so I could quickly identify the, the D20s. I made them all one type of color. So that way I was able to get those skills that come very easily to some people, especially a lot of neurotypical people where they can just look at a group of things and just grab. For me, my brain will get distracted by all the pretty and all the, the shiny, and then I can't find the D20. Meanwhile, everyone's just waiting for me to roll your die, you know, and I'm going, that one had polka dots you know now i've developed those skills but it had to be developed with a group that was understanding about those little weird tiny quirks you know it's it's hard i found because a lot of times i don't present as having any sort of challenges you know i don't look any different so when i do have some sort of you know a meltdown or i'm confused about something it has been my experience that the older you get, the less patience people have for that fellow adult. So, you know, think of how many times someone will just mention that they don't like a certain food and how adults will react if it's considered an adult food. You know, oh my God. you know, like if a kid says they don't like, you know, fish, you know, okay. But if an adult says it, people are personally offended, like th that this person's lack of consumption of seafood is going to affect them in some way. But because you're expected to outgrow certain things, so you're not allowed to have texture aversions. I cannot stand tags in my clothing. And a lot of responses I would get from neurotypical adults are, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever, but it still hurts me just as much as it did when I was a six-year-old. 
and it's still just as distracting. Yes, could I go through my day, but there's no reason for me to be uncomfortable when it doesn't hurt anybody to just buy clothing without tags on the inside. Yes. Yeah, it's it's a conscious effort I would make at this point, and I do it happily. Yeah, I have stomach issues, but I also have huge texture problems, especially with vegetables. And it's something that my parents and my brother and some of the friends that I've had since since I was younger have always teased me about. They're like, oh, Jin can't eat green food. It's not that it's green. It's that it feels weird in my mouth. I can't eat green beans unless I'm only eating them one at a time because they're fuzzy. Nobody else thinks of green beans as fuzzy, but I can taste that they're fuzzy. Edamame has that too. And yes, I know what you're talking about. Or I can't, I can't eat broccoli um, unless it's only the head or only the stem. Two different textures going on there. I'm with you. Exactly. And I have a, a sensitivity to tomatoes. I hate ketchup and I can only have anything tomato based if it's also paired with a base. So I can eat guacamole, but I can't really eat red sauce for spaghetti. And when I talk about these things, people get really upset. Well, what do you mean you can't eat green beans? What do you mean you don't like ketchup? What do you mean you don't like tomatoes? And it's like, well, I, I, it's just something that I don't, I'm, I'm not asking you to cook for me. They get so offended, like knowing that you are out there existing, not liking this thing offends them. And it, you have to take a step back. You're like, you're really getting worked up about this, aren't you? Yes. And my first group for D&D, none of them realized that I had, that that I, I was the only beginner beginner of the group. I'd never seen D&D Beyond before. I'd actually, even though I paid attention to what D&D was, and I've always wanted to do it, I was so anxious, I wasn't even consuming the media. Because I had told myself this was an impossibility. I might not, I, I might as well not get my hopes up, not get interested because it's it's never going to happen for me. So when I finally had a group that brought me in, I was so excited, but they didn't realize that I was, when I say I'm a beginner, I'm a beginner beginner. I have no idea what's going on. Dice are shiny. They make little clicky clack noises when you when you roll them. That's it. I don't do numbers. I can't do math. I went a whole year. We leveled up four times. Nobody told me that I had to physically go back into my character sheet and level up my character. That is something that I notice in game. There are a lot of assumptions made that some people might think is an automatic, like, well, of course you leveled up. Wouldn't you go back and, up and update your stats? I need to be told stuff like that specifically. And those kinds of things can be like pitfalls because then it makes it unfun because you're like, I missed something. Uh, a friend of mine uh, snatched my laptop out of my lap to actually do it for me because she was like, I love you, but I don't have time to explain this to you. I'm just going to do it for you, which makes you feel like an idiot. Yeah. The same with the, with the dice thing. It would take me a second to, um, but whenever I'm asked to do a spell, it takes me a second because I can't off the top of my head remember what all of my spells do. So I actually have to sit there and read, but I'm so focused on what the content is happening around me. I'm so focused on knowing that this person just did this spell and this person is in, in you know fighting this goblin and this person is trying to do that, that I'm not pre-preparing my spells. So when the DM looks at me and goes, okay, what do you wanna do? The only thing that my brain is saying is like, okay, you have stick and, and tangle. That's, that's all you know how to do. And I actually have to go through 
and figure out what I can do and what fits for the situation. And a lot of people just don't have time for you to figure it out in the moment. You end up lacking like a spontaneity. I feel that. I avoided a lot of action movies for a lot of my, my life because it was very hard for me to follow multiple entanglement stories, whether they're visual or auditory. So a big packed action scene, I can only watch on my peripheral vision. So it always looks like I'm spacing out at the most exciting moment. But it's just that I just can't track all those things if I'm looking head on. Same thing with like the spy type movies. I can't follow those. And it's something that I was always told I would grow into, you know, watching as a 12 year old and my friends like all of those. I can't watch those. Yeah. You've lost me at this point. I don't know why the daughter got kidnapped. I'm not really sure what they're doing on the plane. Who's that guy? Why are they now in Africa? I have no idea. And everyone else will be able to follow this one because he, he moved the money to the bet. And I am so lost with those kinds of things. So when I started playing D and D, they were like, uh, sorry, we're actually in the middle of combat. So your character's not here, but just watch. And I was like, what's happening? Because it was very hard for me to track everything that was going on. And then fast forward a few weeks, next battle, the same thing. I didn't know all the things I could do. I knew that my character could do other cool things, but I completely would forget about those and only remember the one thing. Thank God I was a rogue. She shot arrows, she hid, and that was it. So even to this day, every time I use sneak attack, I kind of think back, do I really need to use this right now? Because it, for several campaigns after, it became my fallback because I didn't want to hold up the group. It took me a long time, even though I had a different experience. I was in a very safe group to have all of these, you know, like, you know, stutters with my brain. Because the thing about playing with people whose brain also works differently, they can see. You know, so I would get thrown off. They were like, okay, it's your turn. You're up. And I'm like, I want to. And then, you know, you would hear someone say, okay, remember, you're a rogue. Everyone can see you. So you can't do your, you know, and as a preschool teacher, I appreciated those kind of like lead me to it kind of things. So I could discover it for myself. I'm like, okay, I can't use this thing now. And then, you know, someone would gently say, look at your sheet. No, don't look at the whole sheet. Look just at this section. There's something there I think you can use, you know, and this is the way I learned. Uh -huh. And by the way, the person that sat next to me the most consistently was Scott. So I, I owe a lot of, of my confidence because I still don't know everything, but I have a confidence that I can ask because at least I have a little bit of knowledge to back it up now. So even if I'm playing with people who aren't as patient, which I haven't experienced yet, I'm, I'm sure they're out there, but I just have been very lucky, but I'll be able to ask an intelligent question. But in those beginning days, I would just sit there and freeze. And then Scott would say, Ooh, okay, here's what's a good idea. If you use this, and then I would say, oh, I understand. And then he would show me the dice and then he would, you know, kind of remind me, okay, why did I hand you a D10? Oh, oh, because this one has D10, you know, and yay. And I was all happy and I was able to be successful and not worry about the minutia. Even now I have to remember. Listeners, I'm giving you a little behind the scenes. When we start recording new stuff, Scott will ask if anyone needs a recap. And I don't know, God bless you all. Everyone else, the entire cast, everyone's like, nope, ready to go. It doesn't matter if we actually recorded two things in a day and we are actually just took a break to go to the bathroom. I'm like, wait, what just happened? And I'm always surprised. <laughs> There's a certain sea dwelling creature of the um, animated variety that, you know, I have a 
I have a very similar memory to. So, you know, people are like, really, Lena, you don't remember what you just did? I'm like, no, I did. Wow. Listening to the episodes that have been released so far, with the exception of maybe like three major, major, couldn't, the story couldn't have moved. I'm like surprised every time. I'm like, wow, that was funny. I, you would think I wasn't there. So I guess there's something good to be said about my brain, my Swiss cheese brain, but I'm very easy to surprise. You could actually just tell me like, hey, we're gonna have a surprise party for you tomorrow. And I'd be like, okay, cool. I will still be surprised. So there's that. If you have a project or a business that you'd like to promote on our show, please reach out to us at rfadpod at gmail.com. If you don't have a product or a business, but you want to help us anyway, you can share our show with your friends or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. That will really help us grow and reach more people. You can also like, share, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can take part in polls and ask questions if you'd like us to answer those questions in future Wine and Spirits episodes. You can find all of our handles in one convenient place by visiting our website, rfadpod.com. Now you see it, now you don't. No, but it was recently recommended to me. It's a really, really good movie. I'm not going to spoil it. But I was sitting there with my parents and I watched the beginning scene and I leaned over and I said, this is my guess. And I watched the rest of the film and I was right. And everyone was so mad at me. Oh, that's awesome. You must be also a very good chess player. I cannot play chess. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm terrible at it because I can't think ahead. It was my very first year teaching. So I'm an aide in a classroom with kindergarten and first grade. It was a blend room. And there was this little boy who became my little bestie. He would play chess. He wanted to practice and he was pretty good. And the other kids, I told you, it was a kindergarten, first grade room. There were like two other kids who could sort of play chess. So one day I decided to play against him. Now, keep in mind, I'm like in my mid twenties. He's six, six. He was in chess club though. I lose. So this becomes our little tradition. I play at least one game because it didn't last that long because I was terrible every day. One day I'm playing now. This is mid year. So this has been going on for a few months and I finally see an opportunity and I take this kid's rook. And I am proud. He's beaten me so much, I don't even feel bad. I look at him, I'm like, ha! And this tiny little freckled face just tilted to the side. And he was so, so empathetic. And he goes, did you enjoy that? And I was like, actually, I did. I'm sorry, but yeah, I did. And he looks at me, he goes, okay. And moved. And I moved. And then he just looks at me and just sadly goes, checkmate. <laughs> and... <laughs> He didn't, he didn't even like, you know, he's supposed to lay down. He just kind of just walked away, just holding his head, just sad. And I was just like, wow. And then years and years and years and years later, I go back and this kid is graduating eighth grade now. And I asked him about this one particular incident. And he said, you know, the thing is he had learned that defense like the day before at chess club. And the instructor basically said, like, nobody will sacrifice themselves and just, you know, you have to catch somebody off guard, but no one is knowingly going to do that. He said, I just tried. And then I realized you're just not good at chess. <laughs>
So he was just kind of sad that he realized he was better than this adult. And I looked at him, I was like, yeah, I don't think this is my game. I don't, you know, I don't think it was an age difference. I think if it was reversed and I still would have, you know, it just, it was bad. I've always wanted to learn chess because I want to learn how to play three-dimensional chess because I am a Star Trek fan. But to play three-dimensional chess, you have to play two-dimensional chess. <laughs> and I, that, it just, it just does not process in my brain. I cannot remember where all the, how all the pieces are supposed to move. I can't remember the hierarchy, even though it should be kind of obvious in the names. It just, it, it just doesn't come to me. So I actually had a cheat sheet open while I was playing with my mother and my mother who hasn't played in 15 years. We're playing by lamplight in the middle of a hurricane. She's like, are you doing okay? And I'm like, no, I have no idea what's going on right now. <laughs> I can't do math, but I play blackjack a lot better than I play most games just because it's two cards. I cannot believe you just said that because I was gonna bounce off the chess thing and say, this summer, one of my goals is to learn how to play poker and blackjack because those are also games I have lost against little kids. I lost poker against an eight-year-old. This is three years later, same school, different class. This kid could shuffle with one hand. Holy crap. Yeah, so again, it was like one of those things where it was the big reveal. I was like, yeah, I'll play with you. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I call it the line game, not because of the bluffing, but because it seems like the rules just change all the time. All the time. <laughs> They're like, no, no. Like kittens in a blender or exploding kittens without forgetting how it works. I know the maker of Flux. I met him at a burn. By the way, Andy Looney is an amazing person and you should buy things from Looney Labs. That is my own unofficial endorsement for a very wonderful human being. But again, that's a game that specifically the rules change. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Maybe because that's kind of how every game seems to go for me. I love things like Dominion, Tanto Quare. I love all of those deck builder games. They kind of, the rules change when you think about it. But anything where it's like, you know, a set kind of thing and you go around, I'm like, good luck. I really am trying to pay attention, but I think group games for me are type two fun. Are you familiar with like, the type one, type two fun? No. I heard it from a, like a conversation. I don't know if it's like an official thing, but I think playing games tends to be a lot of type two. Type one is like stuff that's immediately fun. Like, you know, you go to a birthday party, yay. Type two is stuff that might be hard that you struggle for, but the end result is satisfying, like climbing Mount Everest. No one's having fun while they're doing that, but looking back and you can tell people, you know, I climbed Mount Everest here, pictures of me being very triumphant and the whole experience is positive. So I will struggle through a lot of like social things where I'm like, Ugh, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Uh, and then afterwards it's fun. It's like, so I grumble about game and then I'm like, Oh, because there's so many rules, but the end I'm like, Oh, that was an awesome campaign. I get that. Um, one of my favorite tabletop games is Betrayal in the House of the Hill. Have you ever played it? Oh, but it sounds amazing. Oh my God, it's so good. The concept of the game is that you build a house and it's a bunch of little tiles and each tile is a room. As your character is moving, every time you move into a new room, you grab a tile from either the second floor, first floor, or basement, and you just pull a random room out. And you can have an omen or an item in the room. And there are some rooms that move, and there are some rooms like, oh, you're going through this room with a hole in it, you have to roll, and if you fall through the hole, you end up in the in the basement. Or you end up from going from the top floor to the first floor. 
and it feels really complicated when you're describing it but the game is new every single time you play it because your the board is completely new every time you play there's a new combination of omens there's a new combination of items on the board and because of that there's like 150 different endings you can have to the game so if you're playing and you know that the kitchen like i'm gonna pull something out of my the kitchen tile is on the board somebody has a knife as an item and you just pulled this omen then that combination leads to ending number 35 and ending number 35 is that cats are all coming to kill you and you have to kill the cats before the house goes up in flames awesome (laughs) so you play with a group of people and usually one person is revealed to have done the betrayal sometimes it's just everybody is innocent but the first time that i played i was the betrayer my character goal is i wanted to send the house to hell so i now am not trying to get out of the house I'm trying to burn the house down around everybody and kill as many characters as I possibly can and keep them from getting out of the house. So every round, I would be able to set on fire two rooms. And every round, all the rooms that were on fire, the fire would spread. And so I turned completely evil and I'm purposely targeting my friends. I'm like, oh, well, it's on the second floor. So let me light the stairwell to the second floor on fire. Because there's no way they can get out of, out of the second floor that takes care of it's completely off the board. <laughs> oh, this person's in the garden. The only way to get in from the garden is, is through the kitchen. I can't light the garden on fire, but I can light the kitchen on fire. Oh. It's evil. It's really evil. But because every single time you play, it's brand new. And it's the same kind of, I, I guess you could call it type two fun. Because when you're playing, there's so much to take into account. Every time you pull an omen card, you have to roll to see if the haunt starts, if the, which is what the, the second part of the game is called. You have to have you have to roll a number that is uh, higher than, than the amount of omens that you have on the board. So if you have one omen and you roll a six, you're fine. But if you have six omens on the board and you end up rolling a four, the haunt starts. So you have no idea, even from like minute to minute, what's going to be happening. Exactly. It's completely new every moment. And it's never the same game twice. Like, I've only played it a few times, but I've had the bats ending twice. But because it's a new person that is controlling the bats every time, because it's a new person that is growing the plants, a new person that's setting the house on fire, a new person that's summoning the demons, it's completely new because the way that that person's brain is working, you quite literally have a brand new adversary. The house is completely different. And even though your goal might be exactly the same, it's a completely new experience every time you play. And it keeps your attention and it keeps you from feeling that sense of hopelessness of, well, I've forgotten how the rules work, so I can't play the game. If you have the rule book out next to you the entire time, the game is built for that. The game is built to change so much that you have to have the rule book and you trade it around and everybody takes a look at it. And it's like, I forgot how this mechanic works. Can you hand me the rule book? Like when you're playing chess or poker, people kind of look down at you if you have a cheat sheet next to you. But this is a game that is built for you have to have the cheat sheet or else you have no idea what's going on. Was that killed again? 
Betrayal on the House of the Hill. Cool. I just call it Betrayal. There's like four or five different versions of the game, and I just I just found out that there is a Scooby-Doo version of the game, and I want it so bad. A lot of times people put up walls because they just don't know. And they might be curious, but sometimes it's embarrassing to ask. You know, you don't want to show how ignorant you are about something, but it's okay. Just say, I don't know anything about this. It seems cool. Even, you know, I don't know, playing D&D, you can go and find a group and say, I don't know anything. And I might need someone to count my dice and keep track of what spells I have, but I'd like to sit in and just listen to how cool it is. I am so happy I did it. And now I get so many more jokes in pop culture. Yes. I'm like, oh, and I love graphic tees. Now I can buy all the gamer related ones. The next thing I have to do is get into Cthulhu and Doctor Who. Those are like my last things. I need a cheat sheet on that one. I didn't game as a kid. And now that I'm older, I'm playing. Oh, that's the timer. Timers. <laughs> we actually stayed on topic. Wow. Oh. <laughs> But um, I'm playing things from first-person shooters to puzzle games to sci-fi games. And it's such an escape and it's so great for my brain. Or the fact that um, I've always been a writer, but after I graduated my undergrad and I had to quit my job, I've had several months not doing anything. And because, you know, COVID, it's not like I'm able to leave the house on a regular basis. So I'm, I'm streaming and I'm playing my games, but I'm also taking some time to write. And I just made 54,000 words on one of my uh, newest works. Nice. Congrats. You were talking about how, oh, you know, I should have done this a long time ago. You're right. You know, you come into things when you need them. And I needed my writing. And the past few years, I've really needed gaming. And... You know, as complicated as the podcast has gotten sometimes, I've, the past year, I've needed that escape. I've needed that influence. Especially this year. Yeah, especially. Oh my God. Yes. But I will say meeting you guys has been one of the best parts of my 2020. Same. Yeah, it, it was the bright spot in a very weird and scary time. Yes. I categorize things. So it's like forever you guys are going to be like, you know, the people who I met when there was a pandemic. <laughs> when nobody else was talking to me and you guys were talking to me. Basically, that was it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was like people. And it was even even though there were days where it was like, I really I don't I just want to curl up in bed. I can't I can't I can't handle people right now. And then I would sit down on my computer and uh, crack open a beer and you know, get my dice out and, and, and log on to Discord and there would be four voices and suddenly everything would be okay for an hour and a half. Yeah, that, that normalcy, that joy that you know, other people are happy, I could be happy too. Yeah, exactly. And it was conceived without knowing that there was a pandemic coming, you know, and it, I think it would have been different. Oh, much different. Much, much different. And so, yeah, we come full circle. It's been a year. Do we get a cookie? I hope we get cookies. That would be very nice. So would you wrap it up by saying goodbye? Yeah. I, I, even though I don't want to end the conversation, I think we both have. <laughs> sadly, we both have other things that we have to be doing. Well, how about we'll wrap up this part one 
of Jen and Lena just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. Because you can imagine this goes on for a long time. And hopefully we'll be able to get a part two in sometime soon. Yeah. And maybe we can get the cats to talk. They, they probably have a lot to say to each other. They probably have a lot to say. Hi, baby. Oh, you, you napped the whole time and now she's looking for attention. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Rocks Fall, Everyone Dies. It would really help us if you subscribe, share, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Our theme music is by Taylor Calise, additional sound effects courtesy of zapsplat.com, and our thumbnail art is by John Bliss. Find more of his work on Twitter at John Bliss Art. Our episodes are produced by me and co-edited by our resident mushroom, Jin, who streams on twitch.tv slash phantomquip. Our social media manager is our favorite surly turtle, Sambra. You can find all of our social media handles and full show notes on our website, rfedpod.com.